Good morning. I want to thank Robert for coming, stepping up and <clears throat> filling in a space for us. Filling, uh, kind of, it can be kind of difficult to step up for the first time and in a position like that. But he did, he did a great job. <laughs> thank you, music team, for leading us. Um, <clears throat> I know we've had some illnesses, some sickness. Brian, how's your family doing? They're mostly here. Yay. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, praise the Lord. Yeah. Okay, well, let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer before we look into our scriptures. Father, we thank you that we have songs to sing to you and Basically, there aren't enough songs to equal or to praise you in the, in the worthiest way. And so, Father, we uh, ask you now to help us look into your scriptures to understand what you have for us, to be able to um, take it and put it into our lives and to our hearts so that we can just go out of here knowing you better, loving you more, and obeying you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Now, <clears throat> what if I were to tell you that I could speak seven foreign languages fluently? <laughs> and what if you believed it? Would that impress you? Okay. But not only that, that I have solved the mysteries of the strange, unexplainable forces within the infamous Bermuda Triangle. I've solved them all. And that I have discovered the true identity of the infamous Zodiac Killer from back in the 60s out in California who is believed to have killed five people and has and had claimed to have killed 37, but has never been able to be identified who it was. But I've identified him. And that I was asked and even begged to try out for several different professional sports teams in the areas of football, basketball, soccer, and baseball, but I decided to turn all those offers down and that I was asked years ago to play lead roles in several movies that went on to become major hits. And to this day, the directors are still disappointed that I didn't, or that I turned them down. <laughs> and then to top it all off, one time I went up to the hospital, into the intensive care unit. This is before Laura was working there, so she doesn't know anything about this. <clears throat> but I went up there, stood at one end of the floor of the intensive care uh, floor, and prayed for the healing of every person on that floor. And before my prayers were finished, everybody came out of the rooms walking with complete health. Doctors and nurses clapping. It was just, just totally joyous. 
Now, wouldn't that be pretty cool if I could do all those things? And wouldn't I be pretty amazing? And wouldn't you wish that you could be like me to be able to do stuff like that? <laughs> Don't listen to anybody out there, okay? <clears throat> well, let me read to you, <clears throat> excuse me, three verses out of the New Testament, out of the book of 1 Corinthians, to see what you think about all that I just said. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verses 1 through 3. So, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 starts, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, that kind of uh, relates to my seven foreign languages, right? But the angels, that's the highest kind of language there could be, right? So if I speak the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. <clears throat> that clanging cymbal is not, not a pleasant noise, is it? If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that kind of a <clears throat> pertains to my um, Zodiac Killer and um, the Bermuda Triangle, kind of fits that. And if I have faith that can move mountains, that kind of goes along with my uh, people begging me to play professional sports. And if I have the faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So it looks like <clears throat> the Corinthians were lacking the main ingredient for a healthy church or to do authentic Christian ministry. So if anyone was able to do some of those remarkable things that I was mentioning, <clears throat> or extraordinary feats, or skills, or problem solving, you know, on this high level of problem solving, scripture memory, public speaking, uh, wonderful Bible exegesis, enthralling storytelling, most spellbinding illustrations. Even if someone was the most gifted or skilled church leader and could lead an incredible multi-site church ministry with great big screens and tens of thousands of people coming. If they didn't have love, it comes to nothing. Love is the essential ingredient, isn't it? And this being the month of February, thought it'd be good to look into this key ingredient of the Christian walk and of the Christian church, love. Now, as many of you know, the first century church in Corinth is well known as the problem church of the New Testament. And boy, did they have problems. 
So Paul's letter to the Corinthian church deals with a lot of problems in the church. And they weren't <clears throat> so much problems of capabilities or gifts, gifts of the spirit or basic intelligence. They were problems of self-centeredness. Problems of a lack of care for others. Problems of their world being so small, it just barely contained them. Competing with one another for prominence, for public recognition, for claiming the spotlight. That was what Paul had to work with in the Corinthian church. So he's telling them that if they are missing this key ingredient of Christian love, love of God, love that comes from God, it is going to throw the whole ministry of the church off kilter. I mean, you can't leave out the most, most basic, the, mo the most integral, the most important part of the Christian faith and then expect everything to go the way it's supposed to go. So Paul says that even if he could do the most amazing things that pertains to the Christian faith and that would cause people to look even in disbelief because they're so amazed at his talent, at his skill. If love is not the main ingredient or maybe the main motivation behind the act, he gains nothing. So now I want to look at the next four verses that tell us how to know if we're doing, if what we are doing is an act of love or if love is the key ingredient. These next four verses... He describes love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. <clears throat> uh, you know, at first when I was seeing all this in my study time, I was thinking, well, why don't we have everybody stand up as we read that, and then every, whenever you get caught for not doing something, you all sit down. <laughs> And the reason I didn't do that is because I would have a hard time reading the screen if I was sitting down behind the pulpit. So that would have stopped everything. <clears throat> so uh, when I think of those four verses, and I think of patience and kindness to begin with, those were two big major lessons for me when I became a Christian. You know, I'd held some leadership positions both before and after I became a Christian. And my image of a leader, you know, in the workplace or on a sports team or even then when I became married or got married, my, my thought of a leader was someone that was just totally confident all the time. You know, someone who could just always lead, you know, like you see in the movies. Charge! Someone with a commanding presence. Someone who could make snap decisions. <clears throat> One time this counselor was talking to me when I first became a Christian. And uh, 
he was asking me several questions and his, in his list of questions, and he said, are you a quick, can you make quick decisions? And really, I can't, I don't, but, but then I thought, okay, that's, that's a leader. So I, I sought and thought for a minute, then I realized, yes. Because <laughs> then I thought, I can't stand here and just be silent for a long time if a leader's supposed to make quick decisions. So that, that was just my thought of being a leader. But you know, I eventually realized a leader doesn't always have to be authoritarian. And in fact, the further I got into my Christian faith and into good Christian fellowship and then into my marriage, I learned through hard knocks that patience and kindness, in other words, acting like you were a born-again Christian, that patience and kindness brought way better results than trying to be this person who could come up with an answer at the second and who could always act in a commanding presence type of way, who who thought he always had the right answer, who could make snap decisions. And so as I began to realize what a real leader was, you know, some, some, for some reason, or some degree off of this, patience and kindness, it helped me really find out what true leadership is. And then, you know, when you talk about Envy and boasting and pride. In my mind, I see a very insecure person. I see someone that's trying to prove themselves to everyone else that he is worthy of your acceptance. Because that person doesn't really feel adequate. And he goes to great lengths to build an image that he thinks will make him acceptable or lifted up or... uh, thought of as, oh boy, (laughs) thought of as a leader. Yeah, Carmen's not here. She's just bringing me a bottle up here instead of a cup. Well, thanks for being patient here. Um, Yeah, a little bit up here. Thank you. (laughs) But you know, when you talk about envy and boasting and being prideful, I see that insecure person because an insecure person will come up and they will try to prove to you, and this is what always kind of gets to me. I used to be real insecure, but what it always gets to me is they're coming up and they're trying to make you think that they're worthy of you listening to them or thinking that there's something. And there's just this always this push. There's always this insecurity and nervousness and trying to prove themselves when <clears throat> you don't really have to. And the person they're trying to prove themselves to, they're not really waiting for that. They're not really you know, expecting that. But it's just something that's inside of you. And Paul says, love does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. So he's going to great lengths to build an image 
that he is saying will be honorable to God. And then in verse 5, he says, Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Now, you know, the last person I thought, the last time I put it all together and kind of came out with a person that was insecure, this time when I'm looking at this, at verse 5, if I put it together, it seems like a person that's more of a narcissist. That's, that's a big term these days. And <clears throat> he dishonors others. He's really wrapped up all in himself, easily angered, and keeps record of others' wrongs. Sounds like a hurting person who selfishly attacks others in order to make themselves feel better. And that's just the wrong way to go, isn't it? Could be your classic narcissist, where they live to promote themselves at the expense of others, often even not aware of how bad they're acting because they just, they just don't have that self-concept. Now, you know, what I've done here is I've kind of joined the first group up with the insecure person, the second group with the narcissist. But we can go through those things, and we don't have to be insecure or a narcissist to see if we match up to those characteristics. Clearly, we could look at these very negative behaviors and just separate, separate them out one at a time, or you know, just check ourselves against them one at a time to see if we need to overcome some of those negative images. Make sure we're not caught in these destructive behavior traps because you know, these behavior, these wrong behaviors can really hurt a church. As we have seen from 1 Corinthians, I can't even imagine going to a church like they had in, in, in that first century in Corinth. I mean, they were at each other's throats. They were competing with each other. People were coming in and finishing the Lord's Supper. The ones who didn't have to work a big full day's job were coming in and eating all the food and drinking so much they got drunk by the time the ones that worked all day came in didn't even leave anything for them. I mean, their minds were just totally self-centered. Everything was just them. And they looked down upon others who weren't like them. And who wants to go to a church like that? <laughs> and that's how we can guard against it, isn't it? Like when we check ourselves to see, <clears throat> you know, and like I said, I had that wrong idea of what leadership was and I tried to kind of fake it because I thought, well, when I got saved, everything was, you know, men should lead. And, and that's true, but it put a real pressure on me. And then, you know, you had to have your, your children obey immediately. And the thought was, <clears throat> you know, if you don't, they'll run out to the street. And if they don't stop when you say stop, well, then, you know, they could get hit by a car. And so all those things were in my mind that put a lot of pressure on me as I became a Christian to really kind of force myself into things. But then when I started learning more about patience and kindness, the things that God really desires, 
And then it just kind of let me relax and just work out according to my own temperament, according to a, the strengths that God has given me. And then we learn that, you know, the most important things in the church are love and kindness, not envy, not competing with each other. And Paul says he could have the most sensational gifts, the most dramatic ministry effects, and maybe be even the most gifted public speaker. But if love isn't the foundation, the main motivation, the key ingredient, all of that goes to waste. It comes to nothing. I gain nothing. And we know from this letter that the Corinthian church was facing problem after problem after problem. Even though they had access to all the spiritual gifts, Paul says that you've, had, you've get, received every gift. Because they were entrenched in self-centeredness, their focus was on the wrong place. And we read other places in the first Corinthians where, you know, some would get up and start speaking and then Paul said, Paul limited them. And they were, these were tongues. They were speaking in tongues or prophecies. And Paul said, only three. And I, I thought, if that's God speaking, how can you limit God to three for each person? So it didn't kind of make sense to me, but I know that the main problem was the selfishness wanting to be in front of everybody, wanting to show how smart they were or how smart they thought they were. So <clears throat> patience and kindness. And then as we go to verses 6 and 7, it says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So if there is anything evil in an action or attitude or decision, if there's any, anything evil involved in that, then it's not an act of love. You know, if there's any selfishness, if there's any uncaring, if there's anything there that doesn't match up with love, then it's not an act of love. If there's any disrespect or hatred or revenge motive or even jealousy or envy or disgust, those feelings or attitudes or motives can be us delighting in evil, can't they? And we realize that there are instances where we might be wronged. You know, it happens. Sometimes we are very wronged maybe even cheated or lied to or gossiped about or the victim of ugly rumors. But then, as redeemed children of God, we're supposed to not retaliate. And we're supposed to try not to hate. But we're supposed to try to follow the, the uh, example of Jesus. And I realize I'm speaking this morning to some people who are way ahead of me in these areas, 
And the reason I'm telling you is because I'm the one preaching. I'm the one that has the book. <laughs> has the pulpit. But let me end by uh, reading again verse 7. It says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You know, <clears throat> I've looked into perseverance recently in these last years, and I've been so surprised how much of the Christian faith is persevering. You know, hanging on during the tough times. And, <clears throat> and I think what happens is we kind of just naturally get this idea of is we're walking with the Lord, then things are just going to go well for us. I mean, it's just kind of a natural thought. If I'm doing right, God will do right by me. But if you go through the Bible and you pay attention to everything, every person of God, every servant of God goes through hard times. And the Bible tells us that God shapes us through those hard times. And when we're working with people, we go through hard times. And so we're all a part of the problem, aren't we? And we all have to deal with the problem, and we all need to persevere. So perseverance, I think, is so key. <clears throat> and, and today, so many people say, well, well guy, why did God allow this? Why did God allow that? And then sometimes people even turn away from God because they thought he shouldn't have allowed that. Why did he let me get into this car wreck? Why did, you know, why did God allow those things? But, <clears throat> you know, this earth is full of troubles. And he's put us here to go through the troubles and the good times with our faith staying with him. And it's not that he is punishing us necessarily. It's that this is, this is what this earth, you know, when sin came and wrecked, the earth wrecked humanity. It wrecked the earth. It wrecked the whole universe. When God, you know, when Jesus comes back and they redo the earth, the earth is going to be cleansed and re redone. And then the whole universe. So sin affected the whole universe, all of humanity, the whole earth. That's, that's a large effect. Now... <clears throat> Here's what I'd like to do as the last part of the sermon. I'd like to read through some verses that will be shown on the screen that the first few verses will highlight the love of God for us since this is a love message. And the last several verses will speak of how we should be loving one another. So the first one is, and I'm just going to basically read them I won't talk much, just maybe make a comment, but we're just basically going to go through them. Romans 5, 8, and we're talking about the love of God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us as sinners. Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, 
or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sleep to... <laughs> Sorry about that. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. <clears throat> now there, you know, we're talking about the hard things that come in our lives. And Paul's talking about that within this talk of the love of God. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now isn't that something? Because often when hard times come, we question God's love. But the Bible says that's part of the love of God. And he says, well, not actually, you know, if somebody does evil to us, that's not part of the love of God, but it's God helping us through that hard stuff. And that's what he's there for. A part of our faith in God is for him to help us, you know, go through hard times and come out on the, on the winning side. <clears throat> and then we go into love for each other. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. 12.10, Romans. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Galatians 5.13, second part. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, I've debated whether to <clears throat> comment on that. Today, people are saying so often, they're kind of Americanizing this, this love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and people will say, well, you got to learn to love yourself first so that you can have that model to go to your neighbor. <clears throat> but that's not what it's saying. It's saying you already know how to love yourself. Treat others the way you, you want to be treated. That's what it means. Now, you don't want to hate yourself either. But what he's saying is you know how to love because you know what you like. You know how you want people to treat you. That's the way you treat others. So that's, that's really the meaning behind that. 1 Peter 1.22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. <clears throat> um, I'm not real by my you know, background, by my personality. I'm not one who just naturally loves people deeply. <laughs> I mean, I like you, but no, just kidding. <clears throat> but that's an area I really need, you know, love one another deeply. That, that's strong language, I think. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So there he is, deep love. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love, uh, on toward love and good deeds. And John says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's what I was talking about. Love one another as you have been loved. <clears throat> I think I got one more here. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, you know, it seems pretty amazing to me that someone can be highly skilled, super intelligent, smooth talking, have great expertise in their area, but all of that can be disqualified if there isn't an element of love. So, you know, it's just amazing how someone could be so gifted, so talented, so good, but if love isn't in there, just kind of erases everything. So that is what God sets us apart as Christ followers. That's that's how he sets us apart. And people notice that aspect in our lives. So the answer really is love, isn't it? I mean, the Beatles said that. All you need is love. <laughs> I think they had a different idea. But they used the right word. And our model, of course, is Jesus Christ and the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for showing us what true love is. And we thank you for your word that expounds upon that. We thank you for Paul the Apostle, who knew what it was to love even in the most difficult of times, the harshest of times. He could have said, hey, I'm finished. I'm finished with this. It's not getting me anywhere. He knew the truth. And Lord, that you would teach us the same truth, that we are to persevere and we are to love and we are looking forward to the day that we meet you and are rewarded for our faithfulness.